Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is, what are tax extenders? We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. With our IPI Policy Basics podcast, we are building an audio reference library on basic policy concepts and topics. For those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy, or for those who simply need to get up to speed on a particular policy issue. I'm joined today in studio, as usual, by IPI resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. And Dr. Matthews, today we're going to talk about tax extenders. Mm -hmm. Now, as we record this podcast, uh, we're in the month of December, 2023. And along, along about this time every year. Yeah, every year, because we've, we've done it before. <laughs> this issue of tax extenders comes up. So we wanted to talk about what are tax extenders, why do we have them, what are they a symptom of, and why do they matter? So let's talk first of all about what tax extenders are. Tax extenders are provisions of the tax code that expire at the end of the calendar year. Part of what's strange about this is that the federal government operates on a fiscal year that ends September 30th. The mm -hmm. federal government does not operate on a calendar year fiscal year. October 1st is September 30th. That's exactly right. So, you know, for those who are not familiar, every institution, every organization has to determine from a bookkeeping standpoint what their fiscal year is. And some organizations, and IPI is one of them, decide to keep it simple. And so our fiscal year is the calendar year. For whatever reason that is oblique to me that I don't understand, the federal government operates on a fiscal year that runs October 1st through September 30th. And so that's why September 30th of every year is like the first deadline that people start talking about, right, about keeping the government open. And so we end up with these dramas that run from September, you know, from the last week of September all the way to the last week of the calendar year. So the federal government is not on a calendar year basis, but some of the tax provisions are. Mm -hmm. So you'll have the federal government, you know, they will there will be a tax bill and there will be some sort of a tax credit, some sort of a tax exemption, whatever, and it will expire on December 31st unless it is renewed. And so every year that the federal government, and we'll talk about this in a second, every year that the federal government really fails to keep its house in order, you end up with this tax extender drama. Which is just about every year. It's, that it just a, it's been every year for the past couple decades. And literally where if the federal government does not act before December 31st, some sort of a tax provision will go out, will expire. And the result is you have all kinds of companies and individuals that benefit from this and they they move to Washington, they get the lobbyists going because they want that extended. They do. There, there's all sorts of, of provisions, both important and relatively unimportant, but every provision in the tax code matters a great deal to somebody, <laughs> you know, to some industry, some company, whatever. And so every at the end of every year, we end up with this tax extenders drama. And again, if Congress doesn't take some action, some provisions of the tax code will expire. So that's what tax extenders are. The idea is extend this tax provision for another year. Now, let's talk about why we have tax extenders. We have tax extenders because according to the Budget Act, whenever Congress 
enacts budget provisions, they enact them on a 10-year window. Mm -hmm. When you read in the news or when you read online that so-and-so tax reform is going to generate so-and-so much tax savings or so-and-so much revenue, that is almost always done on a 10-year window. The budget, the impact on the budget, the impact on budget deficits, the impact on the national debt, these things are almost always done on a 10-year window. And the thing about a 10-year window is that at some point, you reach the 10-year point and it expires. Mm -hmm. And so these things have to continue to be extended or you'll, you will essentially, if, if a tax cut, for instance, is not extended, what that means is if Congress doesn't, if Congress doesn't act, your taxes are going up. If and that happened, for instance, on the death tax, the estate tax. Absolutely. It happens on lots and lots of things. And there are some provisions that just continue to get rolled over and rolled over and rolled over. And as we record this Policy Basics podcast in December of 2023, you have things like the R&D tax credit mm -hmm. that, if it's not extended, will expire. You have things like the... Um, full expensing for businesses, the full expensing of business expenses that will expire. These, these are provisions that were put in place to encourage companies to invest in R&D, to encourage companies to go ahead and buy that new truck or that new fleet of trucks, uh, buy that new building, build that new building, build that new facility, whatever. And the idea was that you can expense all of those expenses in the year that the money was expended rather than having to depreciate. So these are all tax reductions. And in our view at, at the Institute for Policy Innovation, these are all good things. You want to encourage people, you want to encourage businesses to invest now, to invest in R&D, to invest in building plant and equipment, to invest in buying plant and equipment, because that all causes economic growth. But the way we encourage businesses to do this is by giving them these tax breaks. So for instance, right now, there is an, a benefit to research and development expensing that if it is not extended into 2024, that will result in an additional tax increase of 32% on small and medium-sized businesses that take advantage of the R&D tax credit. And that gets your, that gets your attention. 32% gets your attention. That's a hefty tax increase. That's a hefty tax increase. You have other businesses that really depend on the Section 199A deduction. This is... This allows businesses to deduct 20% of their net qualified business income from taxes. Well, if that's not extended, that's essentially a 20% tax increase. That's a lot on a small business. You have the same sort of thing going on, as I mentioned earlier, on the expensing, the full expensing of investment in plant and equipment. If that goes away, you're looking at a significant tax increase on small businesses, again, in the neighborhood of 18 to 20%. So we find ourselves in this weird situation where every year we're confronted by this issue of, are we going to extend the tax extensions or not? And, you know, the tough part about this is it's hard to get the public interested in these things. Right. The public... So a business gets to write off its it buys new computers and stuff and gets to write off in the same year. I have, it just they don't understand it and you can't. It's hard to get. It's hard to motivate the public to get behind these. The, the public doesn't give a wet slap about this, 
But it is Christmas time for lobbyists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is when this is when lobbyists make their money is by making sure the tax ex, tax extenders get extended. Um, the, the according again, you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier that the uh, the uh, tax foundation, mm-hmm. the tax foundation estimates that there's literally eight hundred and sixty seven thousand workers and fifty eight billion dollars and $108 billion in GDP that is dependent on the tax extenders at the close of 2023. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of jobs. That's a lot of compensation. That's a lot of GDP. So in general, we at the Institute for Policy Innovation are are in favor of tax extenders getting extended. But I think we ought to back up a little bit and talk about sort of like why we have this problem in the first place. Right. We have this problem in the first place because of broken processes in Congress. Uh, Congress is tasked with, at a very minimum, passing 12 appropriations bills every Congress. Now, you know, when you talk about a Congress, you're talking about a two-year period of time. But Congress is supposed to pass these appropriations bills. That's their basic core duty. If they pass no other legislation, they're supposed to hold hearings in the appropriate committees. They're supposed to do markups of bills. The committees are supposed to present these bills to Congress, to the whole body. The whole body is supposed to deliberate them and either vote for them or vote against them. That's the core job of Congress. And if Congress does all of those things on time, before September 30th, we mentioned earlier the fiscal year, right? Before September 30th, all this would be taken care of. And there would literally be no issue of a, of a rush of extenders at the end of the year. And, you know, members of Congress could basically go home for Thanksgiving and never come back to D.C., in theory, if they simply did that job. But, of course, they don't do that job. And so we end up with this constant rush of extenders. So part of the answer to this end-of-year lobbyist windfall. And when I say lobbyist windfall, there are literally lobbyists who have made their entire career on extenders. Literally. You know, I, I've been working for 20-plus years getting the R&D tax credit extended <laughs> from year to year or getting expensing extended or whatever. And that's not a good system. That's, that, that's not even a good system for how lobbying should work. So, you know, in in it in an ideal system, Congress would do its job. It would get all of these these bills passed before September 30th, before the end of the legislative fiscal year. They could go home. If there were other issues, they could deal with them then. But there wouldn't be this mad rush at the end of the year. And part of why the mad rush at the end of the year is a problem is that all sorts of things get added in, right? So you've got these extenders that have to pass. So if you've got some favorite program or you've got some favorite spending thing you want to pass, you say, oh, I'll just attach it to this to the extenders bill at the mm-hmm. end of the year because that has to go through. So, you know, my little program for like a new, you know, a new building in my district or a new bridge in my district or a new highway in my district or whatever it is, I'll just attach it to the extenders bill because everybody knows that has to go through. So the problem with this kind of budgetary dysfunction is that it all ends up contributing toward more and more federal spending rather than 
any kind of fiscal discipline. And so you made the case <clears throat> that part of the problem is the the budget process going through. Yeah. Is it also the case that it's a complexity of the tax code? If we had a simple tax code for businesses and a low tax, low flat tax for businesses, would these things even be issues then? It's a really good point because, you know, what businesses would love to have more than anything else is certainty. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you, you will you will have government affairs people at various companies that are very trade, various trade associations tell you there's kind of a sense in which we don't care what the tax policy is. We just want it to be predictable so we can plan. Right. So this idea of everything being up in the air until the very end of the year certainly contributes against predictability, but yes, to your larger point, and it also makes it more complex. Yes. But to your larger point, yes, these provisions, look, if an R and D tax credit is a constructive thing, it should be permanent. Right. If full expensing should be is is a useful thing toward economic growth, it should be permanent. All of these things, they should be permanent. And the reason they're not permanent is that part of how Congress plays games is that they say, well, this is only going to cost X and Y over a 10 year period. But of course, if it's extended, the costs go on, right? <laughs> so there's a sense in which this idea that the Budget Act forces Congress to do everything on 10-year windows contributes to this. And this has been going on really all the way, all the way back to the George W. Bush administration, where you, know, you, you get tax cuts through, but they're only going to last for 10 years. And so then the question becomes, when the 10 years expires, okay, Congress, are you going to allow taxes to go up on people, or are you going to extend them or not? So, yes, to, to a large degree, the problem of extenders is a problem of Congress refusing to think not just long term, but in a, in a term of predictability, where not only ta- taxpayers of all kinds, individuals, but also businesses can actually make long term plans. And I think the reason that the Budget Act re- requires Congress to do things on a 10 year window is that we all inherently understand that it makes sense to to think long-term rather than short-term. The problem is 10 years is not really long-term. It's really not. And so, you know, in, in, in my sort of, you know, dream scenario, we would go back and we would reform the Budget Act. The Budget Act is kind of a disaster. It requires the president to submit a budget to Congress, which Congress then completely ignores. Mm-hmm. Completely, completely ignores. And, and says so. Yeah. So, so, the, the, so the president's budget ends up being a political document but it ends up contributing nothing toward budgeting, uh, appropriations, or anything like that. It's just, it's a wish list. It's like, you know, if you vote for me again, this is what I want to do. And, but and it's dead on arrival. Yeah, members will say, this is dead on arrival. Exactly. We're going to so, go do what we want to. So it's, it's completely futile. The Budget Act, by the way, historically was imposed after Watergate on President Nixon, because Nixon was, Congress wanted to sort of, Congress at that point thought the presidency has gained too much power, so they wanted to rein it in. So they started passing all these limitations on, on the executive branch. I kind of think we could do for another round of that, <laughs> another round of that right now. But the Budget Act is a disaster. It's a it's a clown show. It requires the president to submit the budget. Truckloads of these documents are transported from the from the government printing office to Congress, and then Congress immediately ignores them all and just does what it's going to do anyway. So we should certainly reform the Budget Act. But mainly, what we need Congress to do. And there's all sorts of structural reasons maybe we should deal with in another podcast in another day why Congress 
sees no point in doing this. What Congress needs to do is think long-term, and it needs to either make things permanent or let things expire. As it is, most of the time, tax extenders are valuable and they are worth extending. But we end up with this constant end-of-year circus that there's literally absolutely no need for if Congress is doing its job. If, if the, our elected members of Congress are rolling up their sleeves and actually doing the job of legislating rather than just auditioning for jobs on cable news shows. So anyway, that is our explanation of tax extenders, what they are, what the genesis is, why they're not only needed, but also why they are a problem long term. And in fact, there's a theme sort of running through a lot of these Policy Basics podcasts, if you're a Policy Basics listener, that Congress simply is not doing the job that it is designed to do. We will continue to hit that theme on IPI Policy Basics podcast. You can find a lot more about fiscal policy, about budgeting, about tax policy, and tax extenders at our website at IPI.org. We are particularly proud of our IPI Policy Basics podcast, and if you've enjoyed it, we hope that you will give us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform, and we hope that you will share it with your friends who care about policy and issues. You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.